Welcome to Kansas Rural Center Presents, the Kansas Rural Center's podcast on farming, agriculture, policy, civic engagement, and much more happening in the Sunflower State. I'm your host, Ryan Gertzenry-Gear, the program and admin manager here at KRC. And in this series of our podcast, we're presenting reflections from Kansas farmers about the upcoming 2023 Farm Bill and how it could assist farmers with improving soil health and conservation practices on their farms. Co-hosting this episode with me is Zach Pastora, environmental champion and the president of KRC's board of directors. And joining us today to talk about the 2023 Farm Bill is Nick Lewandowski, the executive director of the Kansas Farmers Union. Nick, would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself and your connection to farming? You bet. Thanks, Ryan and Zach. I appreciate you having me on today. Uh, so I grew up on a family farm in north central Kansas uh, near Belleville. Uh, up by Republic, actually. Uh, and we've been farming in that area uh, for about, well, close to 150 years. Uh, 1869 is when uh, my people came over from Poland and, and some others came from Sweden and Norway and settled in the western part of the county. So we've got deep roots in Republic County. Uh, but uh, we farm uh, wheat, corn, soybeans, alfalfa, and we have uh, beef cattle operation as well. Uh, Dad also grinds hay. He's got a tub grinder, and uh, my mom taught school for 36 years in a in Belleville in a rural community. And uh, now they're proud grandparents. My sister has uh, two kids, and so we're raising them up as well, uh, along with all those crops and and cows. But uh, my tie to agriculture beyond that is I've worked for the Kansas Farmers Union uh, on two different stints now. Uh, started out with them back in 2011 as a, a special projects coordinator and did some government relations work and communications work during that time until 2015. Uh, then I was uh, asked to go up to Wisconsin Farmers Union and, and do some government relations work for them for a while, out to Denver for Rocky Mountain Farmers Union for a while to do external affairs work for them, uh, worked the, you know, primarily uh, a lot of a lot of that time on the 2018 farm bill i did a lot on the 2012 farm bill as well through uh, farmers union here in kansas and also the wildlife federation uh, but now i'm back uh, here in kansas as the executive director i've been here since june 1st so uh, working on three months now awesome and we're very happy to have you back here in kansas um i was wondering just for a little bit more information about you i'm, I'm curious what uh, what's something that you really enjoy or appreciate about farming? I mean, you you were away for a couple of years and moved back and and uh, to be around family, I know. But but what's uh, I don't know what what feels exciting and passionate to you about being involved in agriculture? I think it's that connection to the land. You know that um, my ancestors farmed this ground that we farm, and now it you know a lot of that land now belongs to my aunts and uncles and my dad. And, you know, just taking care of that and seeing how it's moved along through the generations and, and knowing that if we take good care of it, which is kind of what we're talking about here today in conservation, if we, if we take care of the land, the land will take care of us. And I've seen that. And, and it's, it gives you optimism, I guess. It gives me optimism for the future uh, that things are going to be okay. The rest of the world may go to hell in a handbasket, but at least we're here and we're taking care of, of what's ours so that the next generation 
uh, will have something uh, that they can can grow on or or do whatever they choose to. But. Yeah, you've you've got um, that great ethic on conservation and stewardship, and, and then blending that with all of the policy work you've done. Um, I think makes you a extremely good candidate to talk about the 2023 Farm Bill with us. Um, Zach, you're you're our policy guy. Uh, what kind of thoughts do we have for Nick or questions for him? Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm curious your comment about if the rest of the world goes to hell in the handbasket, and I'm I'm thinking about uh, how important conservation is on a collective level. I mean, uh, in the days of of you know, isolating yourself and trying to manage your own land are now being impacted uh, by broader forces uh, such as climate change and extreme weather. And, and so it, how, it's hard to escape, and I would guess, in a lot of ways uh, that we're in, in, in all in the same uh, boat that is uh, planet Earth in, in, mm-hmm. in some ways. So any thought about how... Uh, you know, do you see the conservation ethic that you, you hold dear as far as stewardship of the land? You see that in your peers. And then how do we reconcile what I can do as an individual with the kind of the collective uh, responsibility? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Zach, because it's interesting. I, I mentioned before we started the recording that yesterday I was at the Ag Summit. Uh, in Manhattan, and there were 450 people there from all across the ag industry here in the state. Uh, you had K-State, you had KDA, Kansas Department of Ag, you had every commodity organization and group at the table. Um, and it was interesting. I, I sat at lunch with a woman who I didn't know until we got to talking. She was with Homeland Security. And, you know, tying in that, you know, there were people across the table from me that are with NBAF, you know, the National Bio and Ag Defense Facility that is is ramping up to open there in Manhattan. And and while we were talking, the, the woman from Homeland Security asked me very much the same question. She said, what are the issues that, that you're hearing from folks out in, in the state of Kansas and, and the, the, the questions and the concerns that they have? And I said, the very first thing I hear in, in nearly every conversation is climate change. And they, they may not dub it that, they may not call it that, but I hear more and more all the time about extreme weather events, 100-year floods happening every, every other year, uh, the fires that happened out uh, in western Kansas back in December that were so devastating, um, you know, these extreme weather events. And, and whether you want to call it climate change or not, that's up to you, but that's what it is. And, and what are we going to do about that? Um, because she was asking questions about, well, what what kind of programs are there to help farmers that, that deal with that? And I said, well, you know, sure, there are these conservation programs like we're going to be talking about today that are helpful there. But I said, there are also these disaster programs that we're having to use more and more and more, you know, whether it's emergency livestock assistance, ELAP, or whether it's uh, emergency haying and grazing, or you name it. Um, there are programs that have been developed over time to address these issues. and. There's not enough, you know, insurance to cover all of that. So you've got all of these things. And, and I explained to her that the cattle that died out in western Kansas here a couple weeks back, you know, due to the heat stress and, and that, 10,000 head, I think, is what was lost. Um, oftentimes, there aren't programs that, that cover the full, 
you know, amount of, of what those animals are worth. I mean, you, you aren't made whole by those programs, but it might keep you in business into the next year if, if you're lucky, if you're not already swimming in debt. So, you know, it's, it's those kinds of things that it's becoming more and more of a reality for folks every single day. And it was amazing because while we were sitting there and, and after we'd finished lunch, we jumped right into the Kansas Department of Ag talking about, you know, what's on the horizon, what are the issues? And that was the very first thing that came up on their on their screen was climate change is the number one issue that we're working on. And they talked about the Ogallala Aquifer. And we're going to be talking about that again here in just a few days when we go out to Garden City for uh, Senator Moran's conservation tour. There's a a meeting on Sunday night uh, where we're going to be discussing the future of the Ogallala Aquifer. It's the first meeting of its kind, and I don't know how long, but 135 people are going to fill this room, and we're going to sit there and we're going to we're going to talk about it. Uh, but we got to do more than talk about it. We've got to actually do something about it. And that's the other thing I hear is, well, you guys do a lot of talking, but there's not a lot of doing, and and we have to make that shift. It's time. We, we know the problem. We know what the issue is. Now it's time to do something about it. And, and conservation plays such a key role in that. Uh, and the programs that are not just through the Farm Bill, but programs that we can uh, implement and frankly create here on the state level and even on the local level um, to address some of these issues. I was just going to say, uh, and it feels like farmers are a, are a good player. Uh, for that plant, they are doers. Uh, at least the, most of the farmers I know, they want to achieve results. They want to, uh, you know, get their hands dirty, sort of thing. So, um, you know, uh, that that would be great. That if farmers can say, "Hey, we have a lot at stake uh, from uh, extreme weather and climate change consequences, but we also have a lot of opportunity in in uh, demonstrating what can be possible." Whether it's mitigating the the harmful effects through, you know, uh, making sure that we don't have as much uh, of flooding run runoff, uh, you know, we got uh, water retention strategies, um, we got uh, better healthier soil so we can make the most of our water on the land, but also could we take some of that carbon that's been going out into the atmosphere and put it to to good work down in our soil. Um, so uh, I just would echo some of the, the good thoughts that you shared. Yeah, and I, I was kind of wondering, um, Nick, from your perspective, where do you feel like, or, or a farmer's union perspective, where do you feel like some of the shortcomings are there? You know, is it, is it a lack of funding? Is it a lack of, I mean, because we, we know that farmers, um, you know, care about their soils, care about the environment about conservation and, and stuff but um is it you know you feel like it's lack of funding lack of technical assistance political willpower you know if it was uh popular and expedient in kind of the halls of power would would more uh progress be made do you have any thoughts along those lines i i think it's all of the above frankly um you know you you look back at the history of the conservation title in the farm bill for instance and it was one of the original titles um and in fact, it was created during the time of the Depression, during the time of the Dust Bowl, uh, to address the issues that were happening then. And, and really, in, in nearly 90 years, uh, 
it's like, well, we've, we've made a lot of progress. We have, but there are so many things that can be done. So many things that need to be addressed. And, um, as Zach and I were visiting earlier before we got started here, one of the issues that I know uh, is going to be really important for us as an organization um, and, and for our members, especially out in western Kansas, is the ability to add some flexibility to these grazing programs that are part of the conservation title. When we were out in Garden City here a few months ago, um, we got to visit some folks out there that were talking about how, how nice it would be if they could actually um, instead of having to go out and buy feed, you know, and buy hay for cattle during a drought, and they've got some CRP ground or they've got some uh, other ground out there that's in a, in a conservation program through USDA, NRCS, you name it, uh, to be able to actually utilize that and, and, and do it in a way that is not, you know, destructive. And, uh, and I know that that's an issue when we talk with some of the wildlife groups out there, um, that they play a big role in the conservation title too. They, they have programs that they benefit from, you know, wildlife habitat and that. But <clears throat> there's, there've been studies done that show that cattle don't damage uh, nests. You know, they don't, they don't bust up eggs. They don't, you know, plow right through a nest and all that. They, they work around those when they're grazing. So it's, it's actually seeing that in action, I think that's gonna get people to realize, okay, this isn't such a big deal, you know, and it, yeah, if you're not, if you don't have 400 head out on one acre, yeah, you're, you're not going <laughs> to have to worry about that too much. Not that anybody's doing that, but um, I, I think it's that, that interaction between the, the folks that are actually on the ground and doing the work, the farmers and ranchers, and the folks that are, you know, passionate about wildlife and conservation and that, bringing them closer together. That's that's one of the greatest coalitions, uh, frankly, in the farm bill is the, the the farmers and ranchers that are implementing the programs, utilizing the program, and then the the conservation folks that uh, that see those benefits too. It's just we we need to get together a little more often than every four to six years. We need to be getting together, you know, on a, on a pretty regular basis so that we can see this in action. Um, and, and, and not wait for the next farm bill to come around. We need to just have a, a standing date, I guess, uh, with each other where we can uh, learn more from each other and, and have those conversations. Because um, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really work too well when we're doing it in crunch time, which is what we're in right now. Because the farm bill we're in right now, the 2018 farm bill expires in about a year. I mean, roughly September 30 of 2023 is when this thing is done. And so the, the clock is ticking. We've got, you know, an election coming up here in a, in a couple months in November that may determine a shift in power uh, between the House and Senate or both. Um, so time's a-wasting. We need to be getting together and, and working on this. Yeah, and uh, sometimes I think it can definitely feel as if, you know, farmers or people in agriculture and conservationists uh, get pitted against each other or, you know, those like those values may collide and, and really finding that common ground to work mm -hmm. together so that everybody gets some of what they want or what they need. Um, I think it's critically important like you're talking about. So, And we heard that. We heard that on our tour when we were out there a couple, you know, months ago. But just because that's happened in the past doesn't mean it has to continue that way. And I think that's something that folks need to understand is uh, 
what happened in the past is in the past. We've got to think about the future. I mean, and, and that's what so much of conservation is about. It's not about the right here or right now. It's about thinking ahead for what, what goals we have in mind for these programs, for, you know, soil, for, you know, livestock, you name it, wildlife. Uh, those are the, the reasons that, that we should be doing that. And, and uh, it, it's not for the faint of heart at all. Um, so it's, it, it's necessary, it's serious, and we need to be serious as we approach it. So I'm, I'm hearing from you, Nick, that there's, a, there's a, an interest in, in, from farmers and in, in doing more stewardship. A lot of them are participating, as, as we've surveyed, with uh, some farmers through the rural center that uh, some are incorporating a few, one or two maybe conservation practices already. You know, how do we take this to the next level? I'm hearing that this is more urgent than ever, that we have a more widespread adoption of conservation. The, the challenge is only getting greater in a number of different ways. What do we got to do to take this to the next level in the next farm bill? Well, I think uh, just like any farm bill, I think it starts with um, getting right in with the folks that are the players in the farm bill. Uh, whether that's a, an organization like ours and Farmers Union or the Rural Center uh, or the Sierra Club or, or you name it, but also talking to the folks that are working on the farm bill. And that means, you know, Marshall, that means Sharice Davids, that means uh, Tracy Mann, you know, the, the folks that are our representatives in Washington, D.C., uh, who serve on the House and Senate Ag Committees. And it's it's so vital that we have those conversations with them and their staff, especially their staff, because they're the ones that are doing the heavy lifting and the behind the scenes work. Um, and and that's, that's something that we do. I know uh, Farmers Union makes it a, a goal every year to try to get out to Washington, D.C. at least once to, to talk about the issues. And we're going to be out there uh, coming up here in about a month from now, a little less than a month from now, uh, for our, our fly-in to talk about these priorities and to, you know, lift them up and, and really focus in on those folks that serve on particularly the House and Senate Ag Committees and say, here's our list of priorities. And these are the things that, that matter to us as an organization. But it's especially important for farmers and ranchers to tell their story, to talk about how these programs benefit them and, and what it means for them. Um, you know, you name it, whether it's a conservation program or or some kind of a disaster program that, that kicked in, you know, when they needed it and, and helped them. Uh, those are the kinds of things that, that they need to hear and, and take note of because that's a marker for them to be like, okay, I remember when so-and-so from Western Kansas came and talked to us about this. I need to follow back up with them about that. I need to talk more about and find out more about what that meant for them and what improvements could be made. Or if it's a great program already, well, then don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, that, that kind of stuff. So I, I just feel like that's, that is so important. And I know that some folks are more apt to do that than others. And it's not easy to just get in the car and, and go to the airport and go to D.C. for a lot of folks, especially when you're farming and ranching. There's never a good time to, to get away. Um, but it is so important and they need that voice there. I can only do so much. You know, I'm, I'm just a, 
uh, a staffer that works for a, a farm organization made up of farmers. My story does not resonate as well as a farmer who's actually living it, breathing it, doing it every day. And that's where we've got to get folks out. And there's other opportunities to do that. You don't have to just go fly to Washington, D.C. You know, they have field hearings that you can attend and they have town hall meetings that these folks, you know, many of them are running for reelection here in a couple months and they want your vote. Well, you want my vote? You got to listen to me, too. You got to listen to what issues I care about and, and why this particular issue matters to me and why it needs to be in the farm bill or continued in the farm bill. And, and here's why. You know, it kind of just occurred to me, because we don't see as many conservation practices as as some of us would hope to across the state of Kansas, you know, I'm, we think, well, maybe farmers are interested or there's not a lack, there's a lack of money or time or know-how or their system's been working seemingly okay for them already. But you brought up the policymakers and, and maybe that's where the bottleneck lies. So I, I pulled up some information that in 2021, only 18% of the eligible conservation stewardship program, CSP, a, a farm bill program for working farms, only 18% of the applications were funded. That's not very many. So of all the people no. that applied, only 18% got funded. Equip. Uh, the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, another program, 23% of the applications were funded in 2021. Um, you know, those uh, programs uh, add up, but if not everybody can uh, get a little bit of taste of the pie, Yeah, I mean, we know that uh, traditionally a lot of the commodity program dollars only land with a small fraction of the farmers. Um, so anyway, any comment about any of that? Well, I'll tell you, funding is always a big issue when we talk about the Farm Bill, um, whether it's baseline funding or if we've got to make cuts due to austerity or if we're going to pump more money in like we did in the 2002 Farm Bill because we had a, for the first time in history, we had a budget surplus, uh, you know, coming out of the, the Clinton years. Um, and so it's also reflected then in, in the funding of those programs after the fact. And, you know, when you hear those numbers, like you said, 18% of, of the CSP was only 18% was funded and only 20 some odd percent was funded uh, in the other uh, program. That's, that's the first I've ever heard of that. And that's, that's mind blowing um, because it's like we're, we're always fighting for a bigger slice of that pie. We're always fighting for even just a slice, not, maybe not for a bigger piece, just we just want a slice of it. And then to find out that not even all the applications um, or not even a, a majority of the applications were funded, it makes me wonder, well, why is that? And, and without going into, you know, speculation and all that, I, I'd, I'd love to know why that is. And, and that's why when, for instance, when we go to Washington, D.C. and we have these conversations with not just members of Congress, but also folks at USDA, you know, the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, and and his deputy secretaries, undersecretaries, and all that. Those are the kinds of questions that need to be asked and answered when we have our town hall with them, uh, you know, when we're out there. Um, and, and I would hope that they could answer that. I would hope that they could say, here's why. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason for this. And, and, 
Heck, maybe it had something to do with COVID. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's it's easy to blame a lot of things on COVID these days, but I'd I'd love to find out the answer to that because I think it's it is so important to to find out. You know, okay, if they weren't funded, why? What was the reason? And if you don't know, you need to find out. So yeah, we'll we'll have to exchange that info before I leave here in a couple of weeks so that I can nail down who. Uh, <laughs> who I can talk to while I'm there. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, some of those, you know, government officials and, and folks are more approachable than you might think. I mean, the um, Kansas are. Farmers Union had um, the FSA administrator, Zach uh, Duchenau, is that the right way to pronounce it? Yeah, um, Zach Duchenau, yep. Um, out for uh, your convention last year, right, and, and had a good conversation with people in the crowd about how at Farm Service Agency, FSA, uh, for those um, new listeners we have, um, who how they're experiencing those programs and what needs they have and and different uh, yeah, ways to improve those. So I thought that was a really valuable one I attended yeah. there to be able to speak to not not our state director, you know, but the, the national director flew out to speak yeah. with you. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, we've interacted with Zach a number of times since then. Uh, he was at National Farmers Union's convention last March in December, or excuse me, last March in Denver. And then uh, he was also uh, out here for that tour we did out in Southwest Kansas uh, with Dennis McKinney, our FSA administrator, uh, or state director, I should say, uh, here in Kansas. And, and, and that's one great thing about Zach is he is approachable. And the guy, uh, he answers his own emails. He doesn't just, you know, tell his, his secretary or his assistant to do it. He does it. Uh, and he gives out his cell phone number when he meets with people. So when you call Zach, you get him directly. Uh, you don't have to go through uh, an operator and all that. And, and that's pretty rare when you're talking government officials. Um, but it's pretty awesome, too, to know that if, if you've got a beef on an issue, uh, here's the guy. And, and if he doesn't know the answer, He'll find out who does, and uh, and that's one thing I can say about this administration, especially is how frankly transparent and open they are, and and they they do care. They want to do what's right, and and I they know that there are issues uh, out of their control. You know, you look at the margins, the tight margins in the House and Senate right now. Uh, it doesn't get any tighter than fifty fifty uh, in the Senate, and you know. Those are the kinds of things they have to deal with in politics in general and, and everything else under the sun. But they're doing the very best that they can, I think, with what they've got. And, uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Like I've said, you know, after November, see how uh, the shift, if it shifts at all, uh, and what that'll mean, especially as we work on this very vital piece of legislation that is the Farm Bill. Yeah, I uh, I know you talked about um, our, our representatives and senators a little bit earlier, but I just wanted to highlight, I think, a little bit more for those who folks who aren't aware. We have quite a bit of representation in agriculture within the U.S. House and Senate. So Representative uh, Davids and Representative Mann are both in the House Ag Committee, right? Um, and uh, Representative, or, uh, sorry, Senator Marshall is on that Senate Ag Committee, and. Senator Moran is on the uh, Appropriations Committee for Agriculture as well, I yeah. believe. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of Kansans have the ability to speak into how the Farm Bill uh, maybe gets 
made and and what things are are promoted there. So yeah, do you have any any advice from your policy work or time doing those things to people about how to talk with or, or lobby to their representatives? I mean, I know you said personal stories, like flying to Washington and telling your personal story, uh, means a whole lot more than just statistics that maybe you can quote as a farm you know organization representative. Yeah. Any other thoughts about working with our elected officials like that? Yeah, you bet. Um, you know, it's been a long time since we've had this much representation in the ag sector of, of Congress, you know, the ag committees and, and that. I think it's probably, you'd have to go back to the days of when Bob Dole was a senator and when Dan Glickman was in the House, uh, you know, that's probably the last time we really had somebody, you know, Pat Roberts, of course, was in the House at that time. Um, so 30 years, probably, it's been since we've had this much representation. And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier before we got started here that we had a great meeting with Sharice Davids here a couple of weeks ago in Olathe. And, you know, when people think of her district, they don't think of it being rural. But her district became more rural in this uh, reapportionment that just took place when they uh, when they redid the maps uh, for her congressional seat. So she's got a couple new counties in her district that are more rural than they are urban. And she's learning on the go and, you know, was just appointed to the Ag Committee two months ago. And so having those conversations with her are really key because she's learning uh, a lot of things, uh, kind of like drinking water out of a fire hose, you know. But she's there and she's doing it. And, and I've been really impressed with her and her staff. In fact, I've got a meeting with her staff um, on Tuesday this next week so that we can start highlighting the important provisions that we care about, priorities that we care about for the farm bill. Um, but when it comes to individuals, I think it's, it's something as simple as reaching out to those members of Congress and to their staff. You know, they've got district offices, they've got state offices calling them up, or, or if you are familiar with who their ag staffers are, uh, they usually call them ag LAs, you know, legislative affairs folks that, you know, work specifically on an issue, and whether it's ag or health or education, you name it. Uh, when you're talking farm bill, definitely you want to be talking to those people, those people on her staff, because you're never always going to get the ear of the member of Congress or the U.S. Senator, but you can usually get a hold of that ag staffer. And whether you're calling or, or sending an email, you name it, if they're doing their job and if they're worth their weight in gold, they're responding to you and they're passing that message, uh, whatever your concern may be or issue that you're bringing up, back to their boss, you know, the, the legislator, and telling them, okay, here's so-and-so from our district, from back home, who says this is something that matters to them when it comes to the farm bill. And we need to follow up on this. And so I can't stress enough how important that is and, and really developing a relationship with that legislator, but more so with the staff, because again, they're the ones that are doing the work. They're the ones that are behind the scenes and that are drafting legislation and putting it all together. You know, it's always been said that 20 and 30 year olds run the country. And it's true because they're the ones that are staffing these, these folks that are uh, members of these committees. And especially when most of them are up for re-election every two years, they don't have the time uh, to actually <laughs> spend and, and go to everything and, and talk to every person. That's why they rely so much on their staff, whether it's in staff in D.C. or staff back here in the state. 
Nick, I got a curious question about implementation of conservation, and uh, mm. and I understand uh, cover crops adoption is going up among states, and in Kansas, uh, Kansas is, has been a leading state for no-till and conservation tillage as a practice, I think, with some flexibility on grazing, as you mentioned, that could be uh, more of a incorporated practice. Um, I think we're realizing that if, if maybe a farmer's got a little incentive to get paid for pollinator strips and 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 uh, then maybe they can save some of the, the corners of the ground for pollinators, uh, et cetera. But I'm wondering, you know, I'm, since I've known you, uh, we've gotten to, to do, talk policy for a long time. Uh, but at what point does politics interfere uh, with some of the policy? You think it's we get a lot of bipartisan consensus on farm bill uh, in a lot of different mm -hmm. ways, and conservation has always uh, got bipartisan support. Um, you know, since in my observations, but you know, also you think conservation as a word goes over pretty well, but then when you bring up uh, the president's plan for 30% conservation acres by 2030, and you call it 30 by 30, well, then uh, then it's a, a federal overreach and the government's going to take your land. So you, do you see any of that? Yeah. Is this politics as usual or has there been on, on a lot of different issues that were initially bipartisan? Do you think we'll get uh, political opposition from from some of this stuff that should be as basic and as common as trying to preserve land uh, for for the future generations, but also a healthy uh, soil. Thoughts? Yeah. No, I I think conservation, especially the conservation title, has been fairly immune to a lot of that politics, uh, so to speak. Uh, because for years, you know, as I mentioned, it was one of the original titles in the 1933 Farm Bill um, and, you know, really created out of necessity during the Dust Bowl. And a lot of people came together around that to address that issue. You know, we, we need to quit plowing up the Great Plains and we need to start, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, ways to prevent soil loss and all that. Well, now we're talking soil health and, and, and that and expanded on that. So building those coalitions, like I mentioned earlier, not just among the, the wildlife folks and the, the Aggies, so to speak, but also the folks that care about soil health and, and care about clean rivers and water and, and that. Those coalitions are so key, so vital. And keeping those coalitions and not just, you know, building them up for the farm bill and then letting them kind of dissipate as the farm bill itself is being implemented, we need to continue to build on those coalitions and, and keep finding ways to work together while the farm bill itself is being implemented. That's, that's what's so important. That's why I said we need to have a standing date with these folks and, and say, come out to the farm. I want you to see this or come out to this. And, and, and they should invite us to go, you know, check out this river stream, you know, or, or, or wildlife habitat. Those are the kinds of things we need to be doing more. You know, the more we get together, the better we get along and or the more we get together, the happier we'll be as the as the old song goes. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, <laughs> I, I just think that that's that's so key when it comes to this whole political world we live in. And you could point at umpteen other uh, titles in the farm bill or, or provisions, programs, you name it. 
nutrition is the most politically divisive uh, title in the farm bill. And, and every time this comes around, you just know uh, that the Republicans are going to go after it because it's, it's full of fraud and all this and all that. And they've got all this uh, so-called data to back it up. Well, at the end of the day, that's, that's not the case. Uh, so we usually try to save the politics for that title because uh, we know that's where they're going to go anyway. Uh, but if we can find some common ground, it's it's more than likely going to be on that conservation title. Everybody can get behind that. It's it's usually at the end of the day how much we're going to spend. That's where it gets down to you know that back and forth and and you're getting into you know the the billions of dollars and and where it all goes. And I think that's where we're going to be. If there's any issue with this farm bill on anything, it's going to be how much spending is there going to be. And, and of course, we're pushing for baseline. Spending, you know, keep it the same as what it was in the 2018 farm bill. But when you look at the current economic situation we're dealing with, with inflation, with rising costs of everything, especially in the ag sector, with input costs through the roof, but yet commodity prices are pretty good right now. Well, but is it enough? Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of talk about cutting back on programs. And, you know, figuring out, okay, what programs are working and, and how well are they funded uh, and what programs aren't and, and where can we shift funding? That's where we're going to see more and more of that back and forth. That was a great uh, wrap up, Nick. We got to let you go pretty soon. Are there any other uh, words of wisdom or thoughts that you want to impart to the audience? Well, I think if folks are... are truly care about this and you should care about the farm bill because the farm bill affects everybody every piece of the farm bill affects all of us and i'll tell you why it's because it is what makes up the u.s department of agriculture you know 80 percent of the funding that comes out of the farm bill is is nutrition programs for instance well if you were to take that away that would gut the usda as we know it it would no longer uh be as we have known it for all these years, it would be a shell of itself. And then you could just take every other program and, for lack of better words, farm it out to other cabinet-level agencies or, or departments and that, and there'd be no need for the USDA. Well, the USDA has a presence in every county in every state in this nation. So we all are affected by the Farm Bill, whether you are utilizing nutrition programs when you're going through a tough time like so many did uh, during COVID, and so many still are, you know, your working family, or you're disabled, or you're elderly, or you're a child that's on a free and reduced lunch program at your school, you name it. Or if you're a farmer out there, you know, trying to scratch out a living on a piece of dirt, and you want to utilize a conservation program that's going to keep that dirt there and not wash it down uh, the next time you get a hundred year flood, every single one of us can benefit from the Farm Bill. So we should have a voice when it comes to that. And, and whether that means you as an individual speaking up and saying, this is why it matters to me, or whether it's joining an organization like the Kansas Rural Center or the Kansas Farmers Union or, or whatever group plays a role in developing the Farm Bill itself and, and, and claiming their stake on what those priorities are, you need to do that. Um, and, and you need to, to say, here's why this matters. And, you know, it, I've always said it should be more than just the farm bill. It should be called the food and farm bill uh, because it does so much more than just farm programs. Yes, that was its intent. 
you know, nearly 90 years ago when it was created, but it has evolved and it has grown. And, and frankly, it is probably the most American, quote unquote, piece of legislation that is dealt with uh, at the federal level because it, it touches every single one of our lives. And I think people need to realize that and they need to understand just how important it is. Um, and, you know, the politics aside, uh, at the end of the day, it has to be dealt with in a bipartisan fashion. And it always passes. It does. It, it may take a little while. There may be some back and forth. There usually always is. But at the end of the day, every five, four, five, six years, we do this. And it's pretty fascinating, the, the process it, itself. I, I love it. This is what I, <laughs> I enjoy this more than anything else that I do in this kind of work. And uh, I just wish more people would geek out about it as, as I do. But we can't all be Farmville geeks. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and thanks to our audience for joining us for this episode. This Kansas Rural Center Farmville podcast series is brought to you by generous funding from the National Healthy Soils Policy Network. To learn more about NHSPN, visit soilpolicynetwork.org. Thank you again to our co-host, Zach Pastora, communications coordinator, Charlotte French-Allen, and most of all, thank you to Nick Lewandowski, who let us interview him for this episode. To find out more about the Kansas Rural Center and our work, visit kansasruralcenter.org, and please join us at our annual Food and Farm Conference in Salina, Kansas, this November 11th and 12th. We hope to see you there. Like and share this episode with friends and send us feedback on what you'd like to see featured in our podcast feed in the future at media at kansasruralcenter.org.